All right, Nate, we actually ended the talk and then we're having some backroom talk. And I realized I never asked you directly, what is your Monero price prediction for 2024? Yeah, so I think it depends on the effect of the delistings. If the delistings happen and there's nobody else that's selling paper shares of XMR, then I think we see maybe like 600 from speculation just to guess. Um, if we don't, and somebody, you know, some exchange still keeps XMR around and is selling shares that don't exist or coins that don't exist that no one withdraws, then something like 250, just based on actual adoption. Because BTC oh, wow. fees are already through the roof this year. XMR is the front runner to get back that volume. And so we know that Kraken is really the only large centralized exchange that's remaining, right? After, after Binance, right? I mean, I'm sure there's some other relatively large ones, but I would have to admit Kraken is the... So it comes down to, will Kraken be, be a <laughs> paper Monero, right? And it doesn't right. seem like they will be from what we know of Kraken and the founders of Kraken and right yeah i mean they've they've only been like kraken's only been a good experience for me personally using it and also i think they're very aligned you know their founder is very aligned with crypto values so i'd be surprised if they were selling paper shares but um but we'll see we'll see yeah i mean i don't know what the asian market looks like either and who knows um what what kind of kucoin clones pop up to uh serve serve the community and whether or not paper Monero is, is going to be, still be prevalent, you think initially there'll be some volatility where we see a decline as, as people perhaps get scared and then speculation. I there. Yeah, I think, I think we're going to see a significant drop. I don't think it'll be 50%, but I think there will be a drop in Monero price um, following delistings. 50%? Oh, man. Well, I'll, I'll be holding, guys. You can count, you count on me. I'm not going anywhere. Um, yeah, I think I think it'll be significant. Maybe not fifty percent, but okay. but it'll be substantial. Yeah, we'll, so see, we'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. Yeah. I think it'll bounce pretty hard if it does. Nate, man, thank you again. Thanks for jumping on and uh, answering the the twenty twenty four question. Appreciate it, Douglas. It's been a pleasure, man. Thank you. Monero Talk is sponsored by Cake Wallet, a trustless open source wallet that gives you the keys to your crypto. Invoice, donate, and trade your Monero with peace of mind, piece of cake. And by StealthyX, an instant exchange where privacy is a top concern. Go to StealthyX.io to instantly exchange between Monero and 450 plus assets without having to create an account or register and with no limits. Making StealthyX a simple way to purchase Monero with crypto anonymously. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in monerotalk.crypto in your monero.com or cake wallet send address field to send us a tip. This week on Monero Talk. Douglas Tuman interviews Nate aka Eat Sleep Crypto, a privacy advocate and censorship resistance maximalist who writes about crypto evaluations and tokenomics. The two discuss Nate's price analysis of Monero, particularly the value derives from the unique utility it offers as untraceable digital cash, and given the usage of Monero beyond speculation, what he predicts will be in store for Monero in 2024 once it's delisted from Binance, and much more. 
Narrow Talk starts now. Nate, what's going on, man? Not too much, Douglas. Good to see you, man. I hear I hear the frogs in the background. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was so hoping I was so hoping the frogs wouldn't show up, but um <laughs> it's funny. Everybody else thinks they're birds, but no, they're the Koki frog. It's native to Puerto Rico. Yes. Um what's going on? What's uh do, tell tell us your, your crypto story before <laughs> we get get too far. I honestly just found you on Twitter maybe a month or so ago. You had posted a video where you kind of get into your your economic thesis on on Monero's value on its utility. Um, but yeah, give us give us a quick intro before we get into all that stuff. Yeah, awesome. So um, yeah, background. Uh, I guess I've been in the space. You know, my name's Nate. I go by Eat Sleep Crypto. I've been in the space for the last ten years now, and writing about cryptocurrency valuation and tokenomics for the last six, uh, almost seven, on EatSleepCrypto.com. So you can find the history of my insights there. And um, I guess I found Bitcoin in 2013. I was really passionate about economics at the time. I was studying information systems in school. And my friend told me about this new thing that uh, was being used to pay for things on the dark nets. And I was like, what, you know, how has this not been shut down? He told me about the Silk Road. And uh, he's like, yeah, it's been going for a couple of years. And, um, and I was like, all right, well, I have to check out this currency that they're using to pay for things because the U.S. government must not be a fan of this darknet market. And um, so I dug into Bitcoin a little bit and uh, it was on the Bitcoin talk forums and, and kept my ears uh, loosely attuned to the space until 2017. The ICO boom came around and um, I started to take a critical look at all the tokens that were being put out there. And I said, what gives any of these things value. And that sort of led me to the question of what makes a currency valuable to begin with. And I started putting out pro forma models, valuations of cryptocurrencies based on their uses in the protocol or the economy that they're in. And uh, for Monero, that's mainly as a medium of exchange. For Bitcoin, for a long time, it was mainly as a medium of exchange. But we all know that that pivoted uh, around 2015, 2016. People started trying to limit the block size and you know the whole deal. But um, yeah, and, and so that kind of question of what makes a currency valuable has led to this investigation and specialization that I have now at Token Dynamics that is um, you know, trying to engineer value into tokens um, by including them in the protocol that they're used in, in in specific ways. So that's kind of my background. And um, I guess other people have taken to calling this tokenomics. I've been writing about it before we really had a term. But I prefer tokenomics to describe the way that a currency is used or a token is used in a protocol or an economy that causes it to accrue value. Um, so that's kind of it's uh, kind of my background. Um, big Austrian economist, uh, early Ron Paul fan, and um, you know from from that libertarian side of of the crypto space. So I resonate with your show and a, a lot of your viewers as well. Awesome, Sunita. I think it's it's in my inside jacket. I I, I told her to grab my phone, grab my phone. I feel, I feel naked without it, so I could look things up mm -hmm. as as we talk. Um, wait, what is the the company that you're with now? It's called or the project? 
Yeah. So I started Token Dynamics in July after mm-hmm. a couple years of casually advising projects on tokenomics. So mm-hmm. Token Dynamics, we're just all lowercase, one word on Twitter, um, tokendynamics.xyz. So we're a collective of token economists, and we design protocols with an eye for the value that we can accrue to a token and the alignment of the incentives of protocols, mostly Ethereum and Cosmos-based, that um, you know, that cause them to be unexploitable and, and censorship-resistant. That's our main focus, is we want protocols to be built to last the next several decades, if not the next century, rather than just pump and dumps that are made to pay off VCs or you know, dump so on retail. What, what kind of protocols are you guys building given like what, and how is it different differentiating itself from what already exists and the utility that's already being provided out there? Yeah. So we're, we have a couple sides of, of our shop, right? We've got like development side and that's mostly focused on hackathons, putting out some MVPs. So recently we at ETH online created a, an incentive system that pays out the, people who pin a file on Filecoin virtual machine for hosting the front end of a DeFi protocol. And we use the real yield of that DeFi protocol and pay out users across chains. So Filecoin virtual machine is an EVM that um, pays you for hosting files in the IPFS. And it has the same key derivation as Ethereum because it's an EVM. So you can pay out from a real yield uh, from a DeFi protocol on Polygon that's getting you know $10,000 in fees, you can distribute that directly to the people who are pinning that front end on the IPFS or actually on Filecoin. They're different, and I often conflate them. But um, you know we're focused on things that are solving real problems, and that was one of our recent MVPs that we put out at a hackathon. We called it Pin Dependent, and uh, I'm sure people can dig it up in, in my Twitter or Token Dynamics Twitter history. We tweeted a bit about it. But um, you know that was one, and then uh, another focus of ours is in our consulting. We're helping out some Oracle Lisp DeFi protocols, so people that are not relying on centralized Oracle providers to um, you know provide a price fee or something like that. We're trying to make things that are really robust. So o- overall, I mean, um, you, you I feel like you talk about this a lot, and what, what your writings and stuff, just utility, right? This concept of, of what utilities do you think cryptocurrency provides what are what are the different different types of things? obviously digital cash i would i would think you're you're it would be up there on your list but what else do you see crypto as being able to provide yeah yeah that's a great question um i've been thinking about this a lot for the last six months to a year and, and especially i think this comes up in the bear market where people are like why are we here you know eric Voorhees had that phenomenal speech asking why are we here and then answers it with basically censorship resistance, right? That is the number one thing that blockchains, blockchain-based applications, blockchain-based currencies can provide that nothing else can. We don't have any other technologies that can provide censorship resistance for these kinds of, um, you know, for arbitrary applications. And so that is the main unique value proposition of cryptocurrencies. And there are maybe two others, I would say, um, you know, public auditability for public blockchains is something of a unique value proposition, but it's not that great of a value proposition, right? Like there's not there in my mind, there are not that many things that benefit tremendously from, um, from auditability by, by the public. Maybe, you know, if you wanted to say we want to audit the fed and we want to be able to see their reserves, then maybe a blockchain, 
um, you know, binding the government to a blockchain could be good for that reason, but I think is problematic for a number of other reasons. And, um, you know, as, as Monero proponents, I don't think we want to see governments getting any more involved than they already are in, uh, in blockchains and digital currencies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always been, right, like Bitcoin for governments and Monero for the people, <laughs> right? Is like some people mm-hmm. thought about it in those terms. Um, transparency for governments and privacy for people. Right. right, exactly. Like Julian Assange, you know, it's um, privacy for for the weak or the individual, and transparency for the powerful. And I, I tend to resonate with that. I think that's um, a good starting point. But um, yeah, so so main value propositions, right? I would say um, this this meme is becoming like open finance, uh, or the the term the public auditability is is turning into. Uh, what we're seeing Ethereum pivot toward, which is open finance, the inclusion of real world assets and, and things like that. They're tracking assets on a blockchain. Um, but the, the challenge of trying to paint blockchains, so the problem with painting blockchains as uh, things that enable open finance and, and tokenized assets is that these um, any use case that blockchains have also includes censorship resistance, right? Like the applications that open finance might um, might use or involve are also going to inherit censorship resistance and that actually diminishes the uh, value proposition that they're purported to provide. So, but the main, main value proposition is censorship resistance and that'll be found in money, that'll be found in the kinds of data that goes on blockchains if there are sufficient fees paying for those. And I know that's a whole uh, there's a whole argument about whether data should be on blockchains, you know, what kind of data and everything like that. But the main value proposition of cryptocurrencies and blockchain-based applications is censorship resistance. So you obviously also think is that that there should be multiple cryptos, right? That just, there isn't just one crypto that's going to master the art of censorship resistance. Is that there could be multiple different cryptocurrencies that are benefiting from censorship resistance? Is that is that true? And and like to what to what degree do you see that being? Is is there going to be tons and tons of different cryptos, or or is it going to boil down to a few that offer the most utility? Yeah, I think um, so. Obviously, not a, a maximalist of any kind. I'm a I'm an individual freedom maximalist, and so I think. Competition tends to be good for the consumer, and uh, the more competition—not necessarily the more players, but the easier it is to compete in this arena—the better. And for that, we want to have a lot of different ideas being tried, a lot of different currencies in the market, and I suspect they'll consolidate around a few major currencies, and there will maybe be a long tail of blockchains. The argument against that might be one of, um, you know, that considers economic security because a a chain with a low hash rate or a low cost to uh, double spend essentially is going to be relatively insecure. So Mm -hmm. even if there are, even if there is a long tail of blockchains, those might not be uh, interoperable with each other and diminishing their utility. So there, there are network effects at play, but I suspect we'll see something like five to 10 major chains um within 10 years maybe 20 years you know that the market takes a while in crypto yeah, right, right it takes a while but then you know everything happens all of a sudden eventually right um so where do you see monero fitting in 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 your 
kind of portfolio of important projects, things to keep an eye on? Yeah, so I think Monero is probably the most important digital cash that we have. Um, it's it's clearly got the network effects, and I think it's the best in class privacy for the liquidity and the depth of liquidity that it has. And um, you know that liquidity can come from centralized exchanges, it can come from decentralized exchanges. But at this rate, I don't think another privacy coin is likely to dethrone Monero. Sweet, sweet. And so do you, um, so we say privacy coins, right? So do you see Bitcoin also functioning as digital cash? Or do you think it, it you know, just provides other utility? Yeah, well, like you said, I, I think um, there are some people that say Bitcoin for transparency or Bitcoin for, for the government or for the public, for the big banks and Monero, for the individuals or for people who care about privacy. But um, I don't see that actually playing out in the Bitcoin space. Like the more, uh, you know, I love seeing, I think it's Coin Cards has a monthly update and they show yeah. every month that Monero is gaining on Bitcoin in terms of who's using it. And um, initially, I, I assumed that this was people wanting to take their privacy back. But I think it could actually just be people that are looking for low fees. Yeah, usability. Yeah, exactly. Like Monero has some of the cheapest fees of any chain. And um, I haven't done an analysis on this, but I wouldn't be surprised if Monero had the cheapest fees per depth of liquidity, per unit of liquidity that there is in the market. Um, you know, there are a lot of coins with cheaper fees. Nano is, is dirt cheap, but I don't think there's as much volume on something like Nano or something like Bitcoin Cash, for example. So, um, yeah, I mean, Monero's, Monero's got a, a pretty good value proposition at this point for, for uh, everyday users. For sure, for sure. Um, and so interesting, because when I, when I first discovered you, you were kind of talking about the base utility that, that Monero offers, right? And then knowing what that base utility is, being able to derive its, its valuation, right? Using, what is it, MV equals PQ, right? Or, um, and basically uh, determining that there's, there's a base value to a, uh, a cryptocurrency, particularly one that's taking on the utility of digital cash, right? And that value is based on the, the, the amount of uh, the market that it's serving, right? Um, and, and so we had already. I think I think I had already. Oh no, you reached out to me when Bi the Binance thing happened, right? Because that is this is the perfect example of it now, right? So we should this should be an interesting experiment. Um, yeah. We're saying Monero has some base value, and you can get into a little more detail on on what how you how you're deriving that or how one should derive that, and I guess. Technically, we should be seeing that potentially seeing that base value uh, come into play soon, right? If Monero is ultimately delisted from all exchanges. Yeah, well, I, I have some good news and bad news on that point, but yes, Monero does have some base value. Um, so, in uh, I, I guess 2018, I think it was Chris Berniski put out a valuation of a fictional internet currency, so a, a currency that was used to pay for the internet. He called it iNet. And uh, I used the equation MV equals PQ, which dates all the way back to John Stuart Mill. Milton Friedman popularized this in the later part of the 20th century. And I've adapted it to valuing various cryptocurrencies because many cryptocurrencies are 
proper currencies. And there are precedents for valuing currencies in traditional finance. So you can apply the equation MD equals PQ, the equation of exchange to Monero with adjustable assumptions. I did this back in 2019 and, um, and calculated out a, what I call a price floor. So this is the minimum possible value for a currency to sustain based on its use in a protocol. And for Monero, this is its use in the economies that it's used in. So the, the simple way to put it is that a currency has to be worth at least as much as all of the things that it buys in some time frame, divided by the number of times each unit is used more than once. That's called velocity. The Fed tracks, the St. Louis Fed tracks the velocity of the dollar. It's somewhere around five or six currencies. Cryptocurrencies tend to be higher because people have less of a time preference for holding. They want to get rid of things that are more volatile. Um, luckily for Monero, and, and actually maybe counterintuitively, it has been uh, relatively less volatile because it is traded and uh, actually sold short. Or there are, um, I guess the thesis of Monero was that currency uh, exchanges were selling shares of Monero that didn't exist, coins that actually didn't exist. So this was kind of like um, 2022, maybe, Monero popped, uh, popped up yeah. on Reddit, uh, April 2022. And so I, I wrote this article. Yeah, right. It was right before the first Monerotopia or right around. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I'm, you know, grateful that everyone took action on that and that kind of movement yes. took hold. It was pretty because, wild today, right? Yeah. yeah and and we, we saw it was a, a quick spike and then Binance froze the, uh, the withdrawals again. And that's exactly what you would expect if they were running a fractional reserve system to sell, um, you know, pa essentially paper shares of Monero. Um, I'm going to loop back around to MV equals PQ, yeah, the equation please. of exchange. Yeah. But um, I, I do want to say that there there is ample there are ample analogs in traditional finance. A friend of mine actually sued J.P. Morgan. Uh, for manipulating the silver futures market back in 2010, 20, I think it was 2010 to 2012 or so. He, oh, wow. um, and that's because, you know, what he was alleging is that uh, JP Morgan and, and likely other big banks, but JP Morgan is the largest in the US, were selling paper shares of silver to suppress the price. Because if someone wants to buy and then you say, well, here you go, and they don't actually ask for the underlying asset, like asking for the physical silver or asking for the XMR coins, then you can just sell them some currency that never gets redeemed. And you, you are able to run a very profitable operation that way. So. Um, it's what banks legally do, right? Well, it's, yeah, how, it's how the traditional banking system works. <laughs> exactly. And that's that's how banks work with the fractional reserve system right. with the, with your right. dollars. If you deposit, you know, they'll have a reserve requirement, 10, 20 percent, and they'll lend out the rest. And it's supposed to be that if you deposit $100, they're supposed to keep 10 or keep 20. But what it turns out to be is that you deposit 10 and they loan out 100. So... Right. Um, and so that's kind of what we've been seeing with Monero is, is at least my thesis. This is validated by Monero, and I think it's, it's going to be potentially validated by these delistings. Um, actually, likely, it's, it's either going to be validated or invalidated by these delistings. If there are no fiat to XMR on-ramps anymore, I expect Monero to become much more volatile and 
to the upside and a downside. Um, and so here's, here's kind of how MVP equals PQ plays into it. There is a minimum possible price for every token based on their use in an economy or a protocol. And for Monero, it's used to buy things on various exchanges, or, or uh, not exchanges, uh, maybe exchanges that have XMR pairs, but marketplaces of different kinds. And um, so when XMR is used to buy these things, somebody has to buy that XMR for BTC, for dollars, for something else. And that is essential demand that is placing constant buy pressure on the token. In aggregate, the amount of purchases are going to correspond to the value of the goods and services that are being paid for in XMR. So that's kind of like the axiomatic right. framework that like we have. Dark market. Do, I mean, we, we have a, what, it, I'm sure you've done some research. What can, what do you think is the, is the best estimate for what the Monero dark market usage market cap is like, you know, give us a. Yeah, it's, it's so, um, it's really hard to tell. Um, I, I think it's in the order of 10 billion a year, but. Okay. I don't I don't really know because when you say dark market, it's like what is a dark market? Because if you ask the government, dark markets are just the things that people are buying or at places people are buying things they don't want them to buy. But right. if you look at the kinds of markets that need privacy coins, that's a lot greater of a market. Like uh, I have um you know this kind of the future thought here for later on, but um, one of my mm, core beliefs about Monero is that people will always need privacy coins. And that's because various agencies have black book budgets and or black budgets where they they can't actually use dollars right. or they can't use digital use dollars. Suitcase they traditionally use suitcases exactly. with cash, right? Yeah. They need exactly. everything. Yeah. Right. And so the, the higher, you know, the, the more complex the threat model, the greater the need for something like Monero or uh, in Monero with extra steps. Um, you know, there's there's a uh, point being there is significant demand for a very private currency. And if we expand our concept of dark markets in five, 10 years, when maybe there's a CBDC instead of hundred dollar bills that you can stuff into a duffel bag, then Monero becomes even more attractive. So I don't know whether those same markets that would be used in 10 years, where Monero would be used in 10 years, exist today. But um, when I think about the total volume of Monero and where it's flowing, I imagine some of that is, is um, you know, being used in these kinds of markets and... Um, for those purposes, but we don't know because Monero is private by default, and uh, it makes so sense. Back, yeah. back of the napkin, you know, if we yep. use best guesses, right? Uh, using MV equals PQ, assuming uh, an addressable market or a market that's actually being uh, used of, let's say, what would you say? You said ten billion, right? Uh, yeah. And that's some other good assumptions on terms of the amount of Monero that's actually in circulation. I don't know what you what you would put that at. I what, think what, that's. Good. Yeah, that's, say, that's a good. What is your number? What do you uh, What do you value? What would you value Monero at using MVPQ today? I think. Well, so here's the here's the maybe the bad news side 
um, <laughs> is that I think it's probably fairly priced right now because yeah. what we see is that when Bitcoin goes up and Monero wants to go with it, it tends to snap back um, pretty quickly. And um, I think that the kind of paper shares that are being sold on Binance could be pushing Monero to its price floor. Um, but counterintuitively, that makes it a better currency. And so what I'm actually uh, less looking forward to uh, than, than most people in the Monero ecosystem is these delistings. Um, I think delistings could make XMR much more volatile because you don't have someone that's selling paper shares into speculators. And um, that's crazy. It, yeah. So that's, that's kind of my thesis, right? And, and we'll see if this plays out. But and then, so it also, I mean, it basically, you're just saying it makes it less liquid, right? Well, yeah, it makes it less liquid, but, but also think about if we all of a sudden had uh, 50% greater demand for XMR, that would push the price uh, in, a, in a fair market, in a, in, well, maybe not in a, in a free unregulated market, but in, let's say in a fair market, that would push the price up. To from what's it 170 right now? Let's say that would push the price to 190. Um, the the effect if Binance is selling paper shares to all of those speculators who are not then withdrawing the XMR to spend it somewhere is the the price stays the same. Binance is able to sell at you know 170, uh, sell all at 170, create a giant sell wall, and then sell it to people who never withdraw. Or they're able to sell at, allow it to go up to 175, 180, and then sell it there back down to 170, where the essential demand is coming up to push the price of Monero up, to keep it up at the level that it needs to be, to withdraw it and then spend it on these markets. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so, but what, I mean, in my intuition, and I guess, you, you know, you could explain why it's otherwise, would be that it would maybe initially, you know, as soon as this happens, you'll see some volatility, but then it will dampen out because it's going to tend towards its true value. And now its right. true value will be even more true than it was because it's yep. literally going to be based on the demand of people needing to go to go acquire Monero for purposes of using it. And they'll use decentralized exchanges or whatever to do so. So wouldn't that kind of take us to the base utility price? Yeah, it would. And... um and, but I think that utility price is going to be slightly lower because I do expect with the difficulty, the increased difficulty of getting Monero, that something like Bitcoin, even though it's not even a good substitute, will be used for a portion of the same purchases that Monero is being used for now. Um, you know, if you consider that there's a, a good number, there's some number of people that are using Monero because it's cheaper than Bitcoin, but accepted in the same places and they can get it on Binance, you know, they could get both, then maybe when Bitcoin has a $50 fee, they'll go back to Bitcoin because $50 is cheaper than spending the three hours that it's going to take them to, or potentially longer that it's going to take them to get a hold of Monero. So I don't know how much it'll dampen the XMR price, um, mm -hmm. but I do think it'll, it'll alleviate some of the demand for XMR that is essential demand. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be uh, wild, whatever it is, right? So how fast do you think we see we start to see the effects of this Binance delisting? Yeah, good question. I think um, 
probably pretty quickly. And there's a handful of other exchanges that I've seen in the news that are delisting. I believe OKX was another. And mm -hmm. uh, they weren't just delisting Monero. They were delisting Dash. They're delisting. I think I saw Zcash is getting delisted somewhere, um, which it, you know makes me wonder what's going on uh, behind the scenes that's pressuring these exchanges to delist privacy coins because no, no exchange wants to delist a currency that they're making money on. Mm -hmm. um, but, but what's kind of funny to me is like Monero has been the uh, outspoken pro-privacy, like privacy by default coin. And these other coins have been kind of hedging their bets and kowtowing to various regulators and saying, well, we're not always private. I mean, you can be compliant with Zcash or with other currencies, and they're still getting delisted. And so it's helped them, you know, they've completely nuked their value proposition and, um, and they're still, you know, not getting any of the benefits. Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup. Pay with Monero for premium fresh beans. And if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the farmers that made it possible. Proceeds help us grow this channel, gratuitous, and Monero. We we always knew this was coming, right? You know, be, be careful what you wish for, type of thing, right? So, um, we always knew this was coming. I I certainly, you know, I welcome it as an inevitability and the the right direction for for the project and overall building a strong foundation that then just grows into a behemoth of a thing that can't be stopped, right? Because now now we're we're still we're being molded in. St we're still in the early ages here with Monero. And we're being molded into a more decentralized environment, untethered to centralized systems. And so it's going to turn, I think, ultimately Monero into the most censorship resistant form of form of crypto. Agreed. You might, you might yeah. be right. So now I don't know, you know how long it takes for that to now become something that's worth a lot more than it is today in terms of utility. I could see it happening. What what What's your thinking there? Do you see a scenario where the price starts to go up, demand goes up, it becomes harder, like maybe uh, the value of Monero or the market that it's currently addressing is, is larger than we may think, right? People have a real need for it. They need to go get it to use it, but it's not so easy to get it. So that friction actually adds a premium to the price of Monero. What, what do you think of that potential scenario? Yeah, I think um, I see this in evolving in kind of three steps. I completely agree with you that um, this will harden Monero and make it more censorship resistant and is overall probably a good thing. I think DeFi and crypto in general has been extremely weakened by people's attempts to um, work with regulators and their um, you know general pursuit of profit instead of values. And I don't think those two are mutually exclusive, but Monero has certainly held up the values and, um, you know, sometimes to the exclusion of, of uh, the profitable alternative, you know, basically provoking exchange delistings by not saying we're going to change the protocol so that it's slightly compliant or that you can have. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I see this in kind of two phases, maybe three. 
Um, the first is this is happening at, at a great time um, in terms of like other crypto development. The infrastructure has been developing. So we're seeing Sarydex is around the corner. There's Maya protocol, which right. I, I'm not sure if is going to include Monero at any point, but we've got Sarai coming around the corner. Is, is Maya's derived from Thorchain? Is like basically a fork of Thor, essentially? Yeah, it's uh, Thor, Thorchain's hot little sister is the meme. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, um, they That's... are basically, uh, they're taking on all the smaller cap coins, but they're plugging in with Cardano. They're plugging in with Arbitrum. Um, so for, for the viewers that might not know these, Thorchain is a cross-chain decentralized exchange. You've got Rune, the base token, as half of every pair in the liquidity pool, and uh, trades route through those. So if you want to trade BTC to ETH, you trade BTC to Rune, Rune to ETH, and then pay fees along the way. And um, really interesting system. Maya Protocol is a copy of that that has a handful more. And Sarai is going to be ETH, BTC, Monero, and DAI to start with potentially the Sarai token in the middle. I'm not sure exactly how they're architecting it. But um, very interested to uh, see and, and hopefully help Luke and the rest of the team with that. But um, yeah, perfect timing, right? Like centralized exchanges are failing. Uh, they're you know that was kind of the start of the cycle, and now they're delisting privacy coins. But we're going to have we are about to have something where Monero can be traded permissionlessly with extremely deep liquidity. I think it's likely that a lot of people will LP. On Sarai, um, so that's yeah, the we have a few. We have, we have we have Sarai that's coming up. Um, mm -hmm. Then we have Havino, right? Havino um, is uh, is that a like a software like a local desktop software GUI kind of thing? Yeah, it's it's like a fork of Bisk. It's okay. a, a Monero based Bisk that's been awesome. being worked on for quite some time and uh, by by talented developers with you know a lot of time they're putting into it. So that that should be that should be interesting as well, uh, and what? Are they, oh, and then atomic swaps, right? They've been around for a while in Monero, but haven't really been made usable yet. Mm -hmm. We're seeing Samurai Wallet add Bitcoin to Monero atomic swaps. I'm sure you, I don't know if you saw like today they were mm -hmm. tweeting about it. Now I, my understanding is initially it's for the purposes of just getting rid of toxic change or something, but it's I would assume that's going to evolve into people natively like using that for for swapping into and out of Monero. That'd be silly if it, if it doesn't turn into that. So that's interesting too. And that's a nice bridge to the Bitcoin privacy community and all of Samurai's, you know, mm -hmm. that whole tent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope it develops into that as well. Um, I did see that on Twitter today. It's really exciting. I, I think all of this infrastructure popping up that's allowing Monero to permissionlessly interoperate with other blockchains and other you know, going back to the point of having multiple chains is a great thing. Like this is this is awesome for Monero is that other chains exist that can plug into fiat on ramps and also be traded for XMR in a way that's that's virtually untraceable, right? Like if you have atomic swaps, no one knows that chain A and chain B, these transactions going here to here are going to be you know, trades across chains. That's that's a, a brilliant um breaking of the link in chain analysis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just thinking here. I also wonder if, you know, a, a Streisand effect eventually comes into play. Uh, we're yeah. wondering why, why, why Monero? You know, <laughs> 
out becomes headline news. You know, Monero maybe delisting from Binance won't be won't won't be seen by normies, but you know, maybe once countries start to start to try to ban it, you know, people start to ask questions. Yeah, hey. I mean, definitely. Right. Yeah. Like, I think that's certainly um, in the libertarian crowd, you know, it's it's like the government doesn't want us to have this. Why would why not? Let's look right. into it. And um, and I think that's becoming a, a large silent minority. So we could see some kind of Streisand effect with Monero and um you know, with the delistings, XMR is going to be floating. If it were delisted from virtually all exchanges, um, where where you know, let's say the majority of volume is happening on a decentralized exchange, price discovery is happening on a decentralized exchange of some kind, um, then we are going to see the price start to deviate from its price floor, and I think that will lead to what we saw with Bitcoin the first two. Uh, times that it spiked in in public in the public eye was uh, in 2013. People started using Bitcoin on the Silk Road, and mm-hmm. from 2011 to 2013, and then people saw the price was going up, and then other people saw the price was going up, and it just started to go parabolic, right? And that all started because it was used as a medium of exchange. Monero could see the same thing. Now that price is not going to be dampened by paper shares that are being sold by Binance and others the price can actually go up because of speculation. And so we could see the same kind of run-ups happening with XMR that we've seen with Bitcoin in the past, as long as price discovery is happening off centralized exchanges. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was when Senator Chuck Schumer was like going after Silk Road. Well, that was one of the moments that I think back to when I was like, what's this Bitcoin thing, right? <laughs> Uh, I had heard about it earlier before, right? And stopped and heard about it. I just assumed assumed it was something that could be stopped. I didn't know. Right. I didn't realize at that point there was a, you know, somebody had made some breakthrough and invented a decentralized tech, right? So, but that goes to show you, right? So that was like a mainstream moment. Um, I think I think we will start to see those with Monero when you see. Even even that right when uh, the, if it's not Chuck Schumer or somebody else, Senator Warren, you know, might might start to call it out by name at some point. Would and, love that. I mean, talk yeah. about a Streisand effect. That would be that would be phenomenal. Um, and I, I think in either case, I'm I'm pretty bullish on uncensorable, untraceable digital cash because there will there is a massive market for this. Um, so in 2018, I did a valuation, the late 2017, early 2018, did a valuation of Bitcoin. And I used the SWIFT um, interbank, it's the uh, interbank exchange system. So all of the payments that you route from um, the US to Europe are going to be going through SWIFT, for example. And there, are, there's something like $10 quadrillion a year that's transacted in this system. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about, and so the, my basis for a Bitcoin valuation was this SWIFT system. And I said, if it was just processing SWIFT and has the same velocity as the dollar, each Bitcoin is $100 million. That is not going to happen with Bitcoin, at least not directly. And unless, you know, unless governments want to have everything be backed by Bitcoin, and even then I'm not sure that the um, volume would translate, but there is a sizable market for digital payments, right? And uh, for payments that are not only digital, but also private and untraceable, 
I think there's at least the same size market, right? Like if it's the same price, people are going to opt for privacy where they can get it. Um, so I, I'm not saying that Monero will reach $100 million, but there's a huge market for something like XMR to become used as a global payments medium. And um, the things that, that Monero has in addition to uh, privacy that Bitcoin doesn't is the uh, block size, the adaptive block size. And they have basically solved scaling for a, a small you know, uh, the narrow set of people that want to use it today. Like Monero has kept up with scaling in a way that Bitcoin hasn't. So I'm, I'm very hopeful for this um, future adoption, regardless of whether it gets the Streisand effect and other things. But I, I also suspect that it will. Where, what, what, you know, it's, when's New Year's? Tomorrow? It's coming like no. <laughs> yeah, a couple of days. Right, 2023 is almost over. What are your predictions for 2024? For so, I feel like crypto in general. What What do you think we might see? Yeah, Um, counterintuitive things, maybe. Let's see. I'm always hopeful. I'll start this off with that. I'm always hopeful that privacy is going to become like a a highlight. You know, that the privacy thesis is going to catch on. Um, Whether that's Monero or like. you know, railgun and nocturne on Ethereum that are hiding balances or, um, you know, allowing you to operate in DeFi privately. There, there's, there's a bunch of privacy protocols that I'm really excited about that I think might catch some adoption, um, especially in, in like the cypherpunk circles, the sort of lunar punk circles that are, that are evolving in Ethereum right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. The other things that I think we're going to see are, um, cross-chain decentralized exchanges like Rune, Maya, um, <clears throat> Thorchain, Maya Protocol, Sarai. Uh, I think these are going to become not only contenders, but but maybe even replacements for centralized exchanges. Or at least, I really like, uh, I think Joel Valenzuela, the Desert Links, has been talking about this, uh, saying that at some point, decentralized exchanges are going to become the back end to centralized exchanges, where centralized exchanges like Binance are going to start to tap these for their liquidity. Um, That's a really great thing, whether Monero is listed on those DEXs or not, because Monero will be listed on DEXs that have pairs that Mm -hmm. tap into those. Um, So that's one trend that I'm really excited for. And I guess a third trend that I'm looking at it's sort of like the the return of censorship resistance as an ideal. So Vitalik uh, wrote this article, released it yesterday, called Make Ethereum Cypherpunk Again. And that was so encouraging to see. I was thrilled, you know, came to the timeline, saw this. It's like, I've been trying to say this all bear market. We need to return to the values. Like crypto is about censorship resistance. Um, and uh, and so that that was really exciting. I think we're going to see that in some concrete ways. So we're starting to see that in just the, the general attitude of, of developers where they're saying, let's develop censorship-resistant protocols rather than um, you know, authenticating with the multi-sig or, or sorry, um, you know, escrowing funds with the multi-sig uh, or using a centralized price feed. I think there was a significant reaction to real-world assets being suggested for DeFi 
So, you know, that was some encouraging, um, some encouraging hints that, that I think we've seen, but the number of protocols that I've been seeing that are calling themselves Oracle lists or naming censorship resistance in their bio has also been, um, you know, really encouraging. So I think we're going to see a lot more protocols focused on censorship resistance in, in DeFi in particular. All right. Good predictions, man. I mean, uh, I think we've, we've been waiting for these things for a while, right? So we think now might finally be the time where people start to, a, a renaissance of, of this, this crypto anarchist vision of crypto. We might, we might yeah. start to see. I, I mean, I hope so, right? Like we, we've, I think there are some outstanding factors that that could delay those, but um, like the election in particular, like I feel like people and politicians can't let the uh, can't let twenty twenty four be too bad because they're trying to get reelected. Um, right. And so, so we might see. I, I do expect. I, I do expect a bull run this year. I'm not sure if I think Bitcoin's going to double or if it's going to. Um, you know, be a, a 2017 or a, a 2021. Um, but I do think we're looking at, at something of a bull market. And hopefully, you know, if things do get bad, if inflation gets really out of hand this year, or, um, you know, some kind of black swan events happen, that, uh, that we would see crypto as a response to that. I think um, we can be a little more hopeful of that, a little more expectant of that because crypto this time, you know, this cycle, crypto is already in the public eye. People understand what crypto is. They at least understand that it, it can't be stopped, right? It hasn't been stopped yet. And, um, and, and uh, you know, and I think in general, at, at least in the United States, the public is coming around to the idea that the government doesn't have their best interests at heart. And so as as um, cypherpunks and, and crypto anarchists, I think it is probably the right time to start pushing the message out to the normies that crypto is the solution to a lot of the problems we have today. You think uh, this year we start to see some bigger names mentioning Monero? Like, I'm waiting for people in the in the in the broader liberty space to start mentioning it more by name. I don't know how, if you're tuned into that or ta- you know if you follow that. Yeah, you said you're um, libertarian, right? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm paying enough attention to politics that I I could maybe recognize some of the names of like, the politicians, but like uh, RFK, RFK Jr., right? right. Uh, well, that would be phenomenal. I mean, if I RFK that, mentioned uh, yeah. mentioned Monero, but I I think we yeah I, I do Swami, right? Like, uh, who's is any? You, do you think that could happen in 2024 or even during the presidential cycle? I do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about on the debate stage in the presidential cycle. I feel like Monero is a little too nascent for that, but I do think we're going to start to hear it more mentioned. Um, you know, I could see Elon Musk talking about Monero, for example, and he might have already, but, um, I think, you know, people that are really attuned to the crypto space all understand that XMR is like where crypto is headed. Um, I feel like every Bitcoin maximalist is secretly also Monero maximalist. Like they're they're like Monero Monero on the street or uh, Bitcoin on the streets, Monero on the sheets kind of thing. Like they're <laughs> they're secretly they all have a lot of Monero bags, and they're they're just waiting for um, 
you know, things to flip, at least the smart ones, because the old school Bitcoiners for sure, right? Like the ones exactly. that like, got into it with that idea of digital cash. Yeah. Right? And, and I yep. think, um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, this is kind of, you know, on the topic of other coins getting delisted, I think there's a good chance that, you know, without liquidity, without centralized exchanges, Dash, Zcash, some of these other like privacy coins or coins with privacy features actually just trend towards zero. And those people join the Monero camp. Um, you know, maybe not. They're probably still hurt with, uh, you know, <laughs> the Monero community can be pretty harsh on, um, on the non-believers. But um, I think, I think, uh, yeah, XMR, XMR is, is likely to catch significant steam this year just for the combination of events, um, particularly the delistings. So we, we talked about how large the market could be, right? Decide, you know, down the line, what the total addressable market is. So why haven't we seen more speculation than into Monero? Is it just because of what, whatever paper Monero potentially uh, on Binance and that was controlling the price? Or do you think there's some other disconnect going on there? But, you know, where, where speculators were staying away from Monero, even though the, the value proposition and the addressable market is, is potentially huge. Yeah, I think I think it's initially. I think it was that. Um, I think there was speculation built in, but the kind of people who are speculating are doing that on Binance, and they're not withdrawing Monero, so their buys are just sold right into by Binance with some Monero that doesn't exist. And because they're not saying, "Let me exit with this XMR," that that purchase doesn't have a lasting effect on the price. It doesn't increase the price floor. Um, the and, and particularly because that XMR that they're buying is not introduced to the economy that would that would bolster the price from use of XMR. Um, and more recently, I heard from a trading group that, that a friend is a part of that nobody buys XMR because the price only goes down or something like that. It's like don't speculate on XMR; it's not worth not worth looking at. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a I don't know if that's going to be a hurdle to overcome. Um, I kind of think Monero is going to going to do that automatically, and um, you know now that now that exchanges are going to delist it, I do expect it to be more volatile, and, and think people are going to gradually tune into that and realize that XMR's price discovery will look a little different than it has in the past few years. Yeah, like you were saying before, you know things like Sarai are going to potentially play a tremendous role here if, if that's if that's super slick and usable um i could see people turning to that as a way to just you know no kyc it's not that really that hard any harder to use than a centralized exchange i'm already getting my my bitcoin or whatever or litecoin here on centralized exchange and i'll have to do a click of a button i could have some anonymously obtained monero um we might start to Hopefully, is where it picks up, right? Yeah, I mean, and the the extra the extra feature here, the extra use case for XMR is as a pass through. So, if people really want to, um, you know, preserve privacy in their crypto trading, they're going to be trading through Sarai or through Haveno or one of these other DEXs to mm -hmm. 
keep that, right? To, to retain that right to privacy for themselves. So XMR in that case is used in this particular way. It might be used a lot pretty frequently, but that's going to factor into the equation of exchange as well. The MV equals PQ there is like the um, value of the currency is going to you know, be proportional to the amount of funds people want to move through it divided by how quickly they're doing that. So that right. becomes an additional factor to the value, the base value, the price floor of XMR um, just by having this additional market to address. So it's not just going to be used as a medium of exchange, but now with something like a decentralized exchange, it becomes a lot easier to use XMR to provide privacy for your other crypto trades. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought, right? So the the addressable, the market will go up much more, right? The size of the market, but then also the amount of transactions being made, right? So that, but that, do they cancel each other out usually in an instant like, instance like that? Or how, how, what's a way of like kind of uh, logically thinking about that? Yeah. So I guess I would, I would, um, right, cause the higher, the higher the V, right? The, right. Yes. The, the price will drop, right? If there's more. Right. Right. And so in this case, you have two components of the price. You've got the uh, the amount of value that XMR accrues from its use as a medium of exchange in uh, on, let's say, darknet markets. And then Mm -hmm. you've also got the value that it accrues from the trades that are happening on decentralized exchanges where people are um, trading through Sarai or trading through Havino and then trading back to get their coins clean with no observable history and right, like using samurai wasabi mm-hmm. or whatever else they, they're just using this this dex to go into monero and out and maybe take mm-hmm. bitcoin on the way out and now they have you know quote unquote clean clean bitcoin right right and so there's there's an upper i guess uh yeah there's an upper limit on the velocity there that's determined by at least the 40 minutes that's going to take to unlock all of the funds from trading through Monero and back, right? You've got that 20 minute cooldown time in uh, how much, you know, how quickly someone can trade uh, past UTXO um, or a recent a recent UTXO. So um, I think that is, those two are additive, right? It's not just that, um, it's not that the velocity of the second use case would affect the velocity of the first. It's just that the amount right. of value that accrues to the XMR token, it gets combined from both of those use cases. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. Any, any, uh, anything else you want to bring up with regards to uh, th- this topic of Monero utility value? Certainly, yeah, a topic I mean, that everybody is interested in, right? So, in in Monero land, everybody's like, you know, we we ignore price, whatever. But obviously, its price is is related to utility, and we're all interested in utility. I don't think anybody doesn't want Mon- to see Monero's usefulness go up, right? Uh, that's what we're all in it for, to opt out, build a circular economy, and just use Monero for everything, right? Right. Yeah, I guess the the final thing that I would share is the most common misconception that I hear from people who are fans of cryptocurrencies to use in everyday life is if you, if you are spending it, then it's not actually accruing value or, you know, this might be a legacy thought from the... Uh, the BTC maximalists, but it is, if you are spending it, it's actually accruing more value than if you're just holding it. By holding a currency, you're decreasing the circulating supply 
the circulating supply is factored into the price per coin. But by spending it, if you actually need to spend it on, you know, to get the goods that you're buying, or if you choose, you know, with a with firm principles, you say, I want to be someone who contributes to the crypto economy, and you're choosing to use a cryptocurrency, every time you purchase it to buy something else, you are actually increasing the price. And yes, that decreases later, but in the time in between, there's some value that actually accrues to the token. And as people do that in aggregate, they are accruing value to a currency. So, um, you know, go spend your Monero, like don't just don't just hoard it. You can spend it and you will still be accruing value to XMR and keeping the price high. That's a great way of looking at it, man. Um, yeah, anything anything else you want to throw out there? I uh, just uh I guess, you know, if you guys find this interesting, follow um you can check out all of my history of my insights on eatsleepcrypto.com. We've got Token Dynamics, Twitter is at Token Dynamics. I'm at official ESC and um, you can keep up with all the projects that we're working on, putting out, helping. And if you're interested in, uh, if anybody out there is building something that's infrastructure for privacy or infrastructure for crypto in general, DeFi protocols, anything that's helping XMR that needs a token, send me a message. I'd be happy to help you. And um, you know, we'd, we'd be happy to work with you at Token Dynamics. Very cool, man. And uh, before we jumped on today, we were talking about Monerotopia and stuff. It would be cool to see you at the next one. Would be I would love to be there. Yeah, yeah. this would be, um, you know, it'd be phenomenal to to meet all the other Monero fans and uh, and discuss these these you know weighty important issues. I think these are um, some of my favorite talks. So thanks so much, Douglas, for having me on today. It's been a yeah, pleasure. For- for sure, for sure. And I know you mentioned Puerto Rico as a as a potential location. It's tempting. It's very tempting. We're probably we're probably going to do it in Ar- Buenos Aires in Argentina. Awesome. Um, but there are some things that are holding us back from doing. Like it's it's far. It's far for us. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Puerto this Rico is... is more. It would be very accessible. Uh, what we liked about Mexico City it was super accessible, right? Especially with visas. Puerto Rico, not as good as Mexico City. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm a big fan of all those places, and I think this year Argentina makes a lot of sense because of yeah. LA. So, for um, sure, yeah, really that would exciting. be yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, buddy. Uh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure meeting you. Likewise, thanks so happy, much for having happy, me. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! And hopefully, the you know the next time we we touch base, we have you on. It'll be a, it'll be a whole new Monero world, right? We'll be like, oh wow, I love yeah. that. Yeah, maybe <laughs> um, when Sarai comes out, launches yeah. on uh, Mainnet, that'd be that'd be phenomenal to circle back around then. Yeah, anytime, man. You let me know. Cool. Thanks so much, right. Douglas. Yeah, yeah, pleasure, sure. Man. Cheers. Thank you. Hi, Monero Land. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube, Odyssey, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to MoneroTalk.live for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. MoneroTalk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in MoneroTalk.crypto in your Monero.com or CakeWallet send address field to send us a tip. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to being back next week.